Are you familiar with the expression drinking from a fire hose? We've all been there, haven't we? Where we're we're in a situation and all this information is just coming at us and we know it's just too much to take in and you're you're trying your best to swallow as much of it as you possibly can, but you know you can't take in everything. It's just too much to digest, so you try to get as much as you can. You know, we've all been there. I think the northern kingdom Israel was there when this plain-spoken Judean shepherd Amos showed up. And when Amos prophesied to the uh, northern kingdom Israel, well, they are taking in a lot because Amos, he's pointing to all these other countries and he's talking about their sin and the judgment that's coming. And then he points the finger at Israel and he talks about Israel's sin and the judgment that's coming. And he does this through a variety of ways. He's using all different modes of communication. He's using doxologies and laments and judgment oracles. And he's talking about nations and he uses sarcasm and offensive language and more all to try to get the attention of Israel to wake them up. Well, as we kind of continue with Amos and everything that he's kind of throwing at Israel, uh, we'll see that he uses another form of communication. And as he uses this form, well, he's going to point the finger right at the judgment that's coming. And when he does that, well, for one guy, it's just too much. And he's going to object to what Amos is saying. I want you to see it. We're going to start as we kind of conclude Amos this morning in Amos chapter seven. Let's go ahead. We'll just go ahead and read that whole chapter. Amos chapter seven. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, he was forming the locust when the latter growth was just beginning to sprout. And behold, it was the latter growth after the king's mowings. When they had finished eating the grass of the land, I said, O Lord God, please forgive. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. It shall not be, said the Lord. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, the Lord God was calling for a judgment by fire and devoured the great deep and was eating up the land. Then I said, O Lord God, please cease. How can Jacob stand? He is so small. The Lord relented concerning this. This also shall not be, said the Lord God. This is what he showed me. Behold, the Lord was standing beside a wall built with a plumb line, with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The high places of Isaac shall be made desolate, and the sanctuaries of Israel shall be laid waste. And I will rise against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos has said, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel must go into exile away from this land. And Amaziah said to Amos, O seer, go flee away to the land of Judah and eat bread there and prophesy there. But never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary and it is a temple of the kingdom. Then Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet nor prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. But the Lord took me from following the flock and the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. Now, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel. Do not preach against the house of Isaac. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord, your wife shall become a prostitute in the city, and your sons and daughters shall fall by the sword, and your land shall be divided up with a measuring line. You yourself shall die in an unclean land, and Israel shall surely go into exile away from its land. Now, from chapters 7 through 9, Amos, he's going to begin a series of five visions. They're really five nightmares that Amos has been given by God about what's going to happen to Israel. They're, they're painful to watch. And I mean, you have a dream like this, you have a vision like this, and it kind of wakes you up. It gets your attention. These, these are not good visions. And in order to communicate this message, this message of judgment, that's coming to try to wake the people up, God gives Amos these nightmares. The first nightmare vision, well, it's of a locust invasion. Uh, now, we've already kind of talked about locust invasions and everything when we looked at the prophet Joel. And if you hadn't looked at that, you might think, okay, what's well, a couple grasshoppers? Not a big deal anyway. But when we saw just how much they eat and the devastation that they can bring, it wakes you up to, okay, this is a big deal. And so Amos, he sees God just kind of forming these locusts and getting ready to unleash them on Israel after the latter growth. And we're saying, well, what does that mean, the latter growth? Well, it's kind of like taxes. You know, when you pay taxes, you always pay the government first. Now, some Sometimes it might not feel like it, you know, because you go through the year and then, okay, tax season, let me go ahead and pay. But you always pay first because if you ever go to the IRS and say, you know what, I'm sorry, I spent all my money, I don't have the money to pay taxes, well, that doesn't work out too well for you. Then all of a sudden you get on their list and they're deducting it from you. It doesn't go well. You always pay first. And it was the same thing then. The first crop that came, came in, what do you do? Well, you have to give some to the government. You give it to the king. And while Amos is saying, that, hey, I saw it, and you had given what you had to give to the king, and now here comes the latter growth, and right when you're about to get the crops for yourself, what happens? Oh, God's going to send the locusts so that everything that you thought would be yours is going to be eaten up. It's going to be devastating. So Amos, he has this nightmare, and he pleads to God, and he says, Lord God, or Sovereign Lord. Sovereign actually means Lord. So he's kind of like saying, Lordy Lord or Lord of Lords, please hear me. And what he says is, Jacob is so small, please forgive. How can he stand? What Amos is doing is he's recalling the promise of God. He's going all the way back to when Israel was just a promise, when Jacob just had a family. And remember, Jacob's name, well, it's going to be changed to Israel. But he's going all the way back, reminding God of the promise that he's made. As if to say, God, Israel cannot stand without you. She's too small, too, too insignificant. You're the one who made her to be. She, she can't possibly survive if you send your judgment against her. Please forgive. Please relent. God hears the pleas of his prophet. And he relents. He says, okay, I'm not going to send the locusts. I'm not going to give this judgment. Well, Amos then has another nightmare vision. This time it's fire. If you remember from last week, as we went through all these other surrounding nations, the primary judgment that all those nations experienced was fire. And now God says, hey, I'm sending fire to Israel. 
And again, Amos pleads on behalf of God and says, God, Jacob, reminding God again of the promises. I mean, sovereign Lord, Lord, Lord. You have to know that Jacob is so small. How can he possibly stand? It's not going to go well. Please forgive. Please cease. Please come. And God, again, hears the pleas of his prophet. And again, he relents. He forgives. Now, this doesn't mean that the people are made right with God because God is forgiven. No, they aren't. They're, they're still sinful. They're not in this good relationship with him. God hasn't looked at what, they're, what they've done and said, okay, I'm relenting because you guys are good now. You, you've done what you needed to do. No, he doesn't do that at all. All he's saying is, okay, I, I forgive. I'm offering forgiveness. I'm extending mercy. I'm extending grace. But it doesn't mean that people are tasting it. It doesn't mean they're, they're walking in it. See, what God really desires of his people is for his people to be reconciled to him, to, to make, be made right with him, to be in right relationship with him. It's possible to offer forgiveness and still not be reconciled. And that's the issue. That's what's happening here in Israel. God has offered forgiveness. He's extending mercy. The people are not getting what they deserve. He's relenting his judgment, his consequences. Why? Because he ultimately wants them to be reconciled to him. But they're not. They're, they're, they're still not in that place. See, this is why you have these two nightmare visions. And you almost wonder, okay, why is God giving these visions and then all of a sudden relenting and not, not making them happen? Because he's showing the people that, hey, I'm merciful. That I'm not giving you what you deserve. I'm, I'm going to be patient with you. I'm giving you far more than what you ought to have. Why? Because I want you for me. Don't you see that I'm a good God, that I'm a caring God, that I'm a loving God? He's demonstrating that to them. But their testing is patience because they can say whatever they want with their lips. and They can offer these perfunctory religious actions. But their hearts are still far from him. They're still not loving him and loving others the way they ought to. And so comes a third nightmare vision for Amos. This time, it's of God standing on a wall and, you, and he has this plumb line. Now, plumb line was used in construction in those days to make sure that a wall was straight. Now we use like lasers and electronics and everything to make sure that you get it all right. But back then you just, you drop a line, you make sure, okay, is this thing straight? Is the structure going to be sound? It has to measure up. And so what he's saying is I'm, I'm dropping a plumb line in Israel. I'm making sure that Israel measures up to me, to my standards, to the covenant in which I've, give, I've, I've given them. Because God has told them, hey, this is what it looks like to love me. This is what it looks like to love others. This is the covenant that I'm holding you to. These are the standards that you are set up against. And if you're going to fail to meet those standards, then Amos' nightmare vision says, well, then God is sending his judgment. And it's not going to be pretty. If you continue to make a mockery of God and his word, judgment is coming and this judgment isn't good. Now, this time, Amos, he doesn't protest. He doesn't say, oh, Lord, Lord, Lord of Lords, you know, Jacob is so small. How can he possibly survive? You got to step in. He must relent. No, Amos realizes, okay, you've been merciful. You've been patient. 
But sometimes the most loving thing that God can do is to discipline his kids, is to, is to give consequences, is to send his judgment. You understand judgment and love? They're, they're not like two separate things. Where, okay, we have a God of judgment and a God of love. No, they're always intertwined. The God judges. He allows consequences. He gives them in love. Why? For the relationship, so that you can measure up, so that you can be the people that God has designed them to be. This is what's breaking God's heart. He wants them to measure up. You know, today, we have a plumb line. God sets us up against his son, Jesus Christ. That's who he measures us against. He never looks at anybody else and says, okay, how are you doing compared to that person? Or how are you doing compared to that person? He, he always measures us up to Jesus. Are you being conformed into the likeness, into the image, into the character of Jesus? Do you live in love like Jesus? That's, that's the question. And when we fail to measure up and we make a mockery of that and we intentionally resist the spirit and quench the spirit and just live however we want to live, well, sometimes God is merciful and he's patient. And other times he sends consequences and judgment. Why? To wake us up so that we will be the people he's called us to be. So as Amos delivers this uh, this harsh nightmare vision, he says, okay, the ultimate consequence of this is, is God. He's going to take the high places of Isaac and he uses that old name again. He says, they're going to be destroyed. He says, the sanctuaries of Israel, they're going to be ruined. And with the sword, I'm going to come against the house of Jeroboam. And he's talking about Jeroboam the second here, okay? The king of the northern kingdom, Israel. God has said, enough is enough. And so as Amos is delivering all these nightmare visions to the people of Israel, well, it gets interrupted here. Because after the third vision, there's a priest, a priest of Bethel. It's one of the northern sanctuaries in the northern kingdom. Uh, and his name is Amaziah. Not King Amaziah, it's the priest Amaziah. And he hears what Amos is saying, and he immediately, he writes a message to the king. And he, sa he says, hey, king, you need to know that this guy Amos, he's come up here, and he's conspiring against you. And hey, you tell a king that there's a conspiracy going on, that there's some kind of political threat. Well, the king takes notice of that. And he's saying, this, this guy, he's conspiring against you. And, and he says that you're going to die by the sword, and that all of Israel is going to go into exile. Now, it's interesting. Because Amos didn't say exactly that. Amos said the sword is going to come against the house of Jeroboam. He doesn't say like, hey, let's kind of form a conspiracy against the king and Jeroboam II is going to die. He doesn't say that. He just said the sword is going to come upon the house. But see, it's a whole lot better if you just kind of ratchet up the language a little bit. If you, if you take what's being said and you just kind of amplify it a little bit, you know, that'll get to the king's attention a little more. What Amaziah is doing is he's using a satanic trick. It first originated in the garden. You remember where Satan, he hears the words of God and then he goes to Adam and Eve. Hey, did God really say? And then he takes what God said and there's some element of truth to it. There is some truth in what Satan's saying, but then he he amplifies it and he exaggerates it and he twists it. So you understand when you twist people's words, you got to be very careful 
because that's a satanic trick. It's wrong. It's evil. We, we, we're going to represent people as they would represent themselves. We don't, we don't want to exaggerate things or, or misquote people in any way. See, this is a satanic tool, and we don't want to be a part of anything like that. And so after the priest, after he writes to the king and he uses this wicked satanic trick, then he runs over to Amos and he says, hey, you get out of here, you seer. That's not a negative thing. He's not saying anything bad. He's just, hey, you're a prophet, you prophet, you, you go back to Judah and you go ahead and you prophesy there where you came from. We don't want to hear you anymore. Now, it's interesting how Amos responds to all of this. He doesn't just roll over and say, okay, you know what, they're being mean to me. Let me just, let me just go and they can just, you know, whatever comes against them, comes against them. No, Amos fires back because he understands the call of God that has been placed on his life. And he says, listen, I'm no prophet. I'm not even the son of a prophet. I'm just a simple herdsman out, out in the fields with my animals and getting food from sycamore trees. And that, that's all I'm doing. But then God called me and he called me up here to give you this message, to give Israel this message, to get you to wake up. And since you are coming against the word of God, since you are coming against ultimately God himself, well, then judgment's going to come against you. And then Amos, he prophesies and he says, hey, your wife's going to become a prostitute. Your sons and daughters are going to be killed. You're going to, be, you're going to die in a foreign land. Israel's going to be exiled off. I mean, it's an ugly, awful prophecy. But, God, but what Amos is saying is, hey, you need to know this is going to happen. And now because you're ultimately coming against God, you're going to have some really harsh consequences because not only are you coming against God, you're also deceiving all these people and trying to get them to come against God also by believing what you are saying. One of the things that Amos is convinced of is that he was called by God. He was no prophet. He was not a Levite. He's just, he's just a normal guy. See, understand this. We're all called to full-time ministry. Amos knew that he was called to full-time ministry. You're called to full-time ministry. And when you're called to full-time ministry, when you're ministering to people, when you're speaking God's truth, when you're making disciples who can make disciples, well, sometimes people are going to come against you. They're going to twist your words. They're going to say things about you that aren't true. And it's how you respond to that that's going to kind of dictate the success of your ministry? Is all that going to make you bitter and turn you sour? Are you just going to say, forget it and throw your hands in the air? Or are you going to press in and continue to love, continue to speak truth? Now, one of the things you have to decide when this is happening, when people are coming against you, is what's the right response to take? I mean, Jesus said, hey, when, when people say all these things against you, turn them the other cheek. So is it time to turn the other cheek or is it a time, like Amos, to push back. Jesus did the same thing, you know. I mean, there was a time when Jesus said, okay, enough is enough. And he flipped over the tables of the, the money changers. And he, and he called Herod a fox. And he called the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. I mean, he used harsh language himself. How do you know when to kind of just back off and when to push ahead? Well, the, the deal is when the attack is personal, simply about you, you let it go. Hey, you can slander me all you want. You can say whatever you want against me. But when they come against you in such a way that it calls to question the truth and the validity of God's word, well, then you push back because now it's his integrity, his reputation that's on the line. And that's what we always stand up for. And this is what Amos is doing. Hey, not only 
is this an attack against Amos? No, it goes much deeper than that because this priest, Amaziah, he's turning all of Israel, has the potential to turn all of Israel against to what Amos is saying. And so Amos, he forcefully fires back and pushes back and says, no, what you are saying is wrong. And now this is going to happen to you. This is the consequence for you. And so that's going to get everybody's attention. Hey, I don't think I want that consequence happen to me and my family. Okay, what else does this uh, Judean shepherd have to say anyway? And then Amos in chapter eight, you get the fourth nightmare vision. After he was so rudely interrupted there at the end of chapter seven, you get a fourth nightmare vision and this one's getting worse. And, and in chapter eight, there's this vision of this basket of ripe fruit. It looks so good. It looks so tasty. It looks so appealing. And God is saying that ripe fruit is like Israel. It's ripe for judgment. And just as that ripe fruit will, will soon spoil. So God is going to come and he's going to spoil Israel. Not in a good way. He's, he's going to make them pay. He's going to extend his judgment upon them. It, it is a rough scene, what he begins to explain in this nightmare vision. He says that the songs in the temple are going to turn to wailing in the temple, that bodies are just going to be flung everywhere, and then there's going to be silence. It's a gruesome and terrible scene. And then comes chapter nine. It's the fifth nightmare vision, the fifth and final, and it is the most brutal of them all. And as you read it, you almost wonder, well, how could it get any worse than the last one? Because what happened in chapter 8 was really bad. Well, in this final vision, God is standing beside the altar and he's given instructions for how to capture and how to take down Israel. And he says, hey, no one's going to escape from this. You're going to strike the Capitol buildings and, and bricks are going to fall. and They're going to smash people's heads. And those who try to run away from it, they're going to be killed by the sword. And God says, it doesn't matter where you go. He says, if you think you can dig a hole down to the grave, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go down there. I'm going to take you. And I'm going to take you to the grave. If you think you can kind of climb and get up to heaven, I'm going to go there and I'm going to take you down. You think you can hide in the bottom of the ocean or you think you can climb the tallest mountain? Wherever you go, I'm going to get you and I'm going to exact my judgment against you. He says in verse 4 that I'm going to fix my eyes against you for evil and not for good. This whole time, the prophets have been trying to get Israel to turn away from evil and turn toward good. They don't. And so God says, I'm going to fix my eyes on you for evil and not for good. And then in verse eight, I'm going to destroy the sinful kingdom, but I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. And then in verses nine and 10, God says, I'm going to shake Israel and all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword. This is the most brutal act of judgment. These most horrific consequences are coming to Israel. But at the same time, don't miss, this is also a beautiful act of love. It's easy to miss that as you see this gruesome scene but the thing is, God remembers his promises. And so he says, hey, Jacob is not going to be utterly destroyed. I'm going to still uphold the promises that I have made. I'm going to turn her into a mighty nation. I'm going to do that. All the nations of the earth will be blessed on account of Israel. I'm going to, I'm going to uphold my word. But at the same time, there is going to be this judgment, this sifting that takes place. 
And this sifting, it sounds harsh, it sounds brutal, and it is, but it's a purifying act of God's love where he looks and he says, okay, here are all the committed people, this committed remnant. And my, my punishment, my judgment, my they're not coming to them. It's coming to all these sinful people who make a mockery of my name, of my word, of this covenant. And I'm going to remove the waste so that Israel can be the light that she was called to be. And ultimately, salvation is going to come through Israel just as he had promised. See, this is God upholding his promise in love and making a way so that his promises can still be fulfilled. See, this was to remove those who had utterly rejected God's mercy and God's forgiveness. And at the same time, to lift up those who had held on to it and had claimed it and had walked in that forgiveness, had been reconciled with him to save the faithful. And then, after this last, final, fifth nightmare vision, <laughs> comes some hope. It's interesting, in Amos, there, there's so much sin and so much judgment. You actually have to wade through eight and a half chapters of just sin and judgment and curse and all this stuff that's happening until you get to the final several verses. And in those final few verses, Amos, he ends on this most beautiful note of hope. I want you to see it. It's Amos chapter 9, verses 11 through 15. The prophet says this, in that day, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, who, who, him who sows the seed. The mountains shall drip with sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. I will restore the fortunes of my people Israel and they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. And they shall plant vineyards and drink their wine and they shall make their gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land and they shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them says the Lord your God. Hope. Hope is coming from the line of David. Amos is saying there is one who will come and he, he will be able to repair what's been broken. He will be able to recover what's been lost. Maybe you need to hear that this morning, that Jesus Christ, he's come to repair what's been broken to recover what's been lost. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We're all guilty. And we look at our lives and we think, well, this is broken. This is lost. I, I cannot possibly put the pieces back together again. And Amos says, oh, there's one who's coming who can. And now we look back and we see, yes, Jesus came. He, he's the rebuilder of broken lives. He recovers all that innocence that's been lost. He does this. And Amos, as he's, saying, as he's saying this, he also looks forward to a day when God's people will possess the land of Edom. We talked about Edom and Odiah, but he says not just Edom. Also all nations, that all nations will come under the banner of Jesus Christ. This fulfills the prophecy that all kingdoms will become the one kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. This is the vision of God. This is the vision of the prophets. This is what God has in mind from the very beginning, that the people could come together united in love and respect. 
and understand all those promises of judgment that Amos had given, (laughs) well, they all came true. It gives us great confidence that this promise will come true as well, this promise of blessing. And when this blessing comes, Amos says, oh man, and when that happens, when this kingdom comes, this one kingdom for our Lord and his Christ, it's going to be great. There's going to be so much blessing, just mountains just flowing with wine. The blessing is never in, and I'm going to plant you there permanently. It's a place of permanent peace, permanent blessing, permanent goodness. And the people will be united with love and respect. Heavenly Father, we thank you. That as we look through the prophet Amos, we realize what we deserve. We realize what our sin deserves, how ugly it is. But God, at the same time, we see this note of hope. Where you have sent your one and only son, Jesus Christ, to restore what's been broken, to recover what's been lost. So God, help us to be reconciled into right relationship with you so that when you hold us against the plumb line of your son, Jesus, that we would live in love like Jesus. We need your help to do that. So we ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.